What up, y'all? I'm Brendan Whitted, and I'll be your host on this episode of Politics Aside, the politics podcast on the That's Black Male podcast network. As always, I'm joined by D.C. litigator Edward Williams II and Florida prosecutor Adrian Mood. We ask that on whatever platform you're listening, you please rate, review, subscribe, follow. Without further ado, let's get to it. What is good, man? It is, is, as always, a pleasure to meet up with y'all. Uh, it's, it's been a second. Been trying to to get some some real life stuff worked out, but it is good to hear from you, Moo. How you doing, Adrian? You know, uh, again, now adjusted for my increased election anxiety. Uh, mm. I'm hanging in there. There you go. But, you know, very anxious, refreshing 538, <laughs> you know. 10 plus times a day. So you're just not going to learn your lesson, huh? Okay. All right. Fine. No, that's, that's fine. Nope. I'm out okay. here stressing out. I don't know what else to do. So okay. that's where I'm at. There it is. There it is. There it is. Poor hub tab up. And then, uh, uh, Ed, what, uh, what, what's going on with you, bro? Uh, yeah, same. You know, trying to figure out how to deal with uh, the severe uh, PTSD from 2016. Stronger together. Um, that's right. Those cupcakes are, are sitting right at the top of my mind don't forget don't forget uh, about the cake that I got and the cake from your, from thank for you wedding. for the wedding yes yes, yes a cake yes, that says yes. stronger together that's right yes why we did appreciate petty, that petty <laughs> petty that's that's how i wouldn't expect it. anything different exactly I wouldn't expect like, anything exactly different. that's i have i have i have nothing yeah. else to contribute your own brand your own brand <laughs> literally nothing um, else to contribute. but yeah you know um for 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 the listeners who don't know i um you know I moonlight as a, as a Howard law professor. Um, oh, is that why you have that turtleneck on right now? That is why I have a turtleneck on in your own house. Okay. Right. Official attire. There may be a draft in there. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the official attire of law professors. It's a turtleneck. And Where's so the I'm wearing it. Where's so the I'm wearing pipe? it. Where's it's, the it's cod pipe, sir? Over on, over on other, oh, on man. We're stepping up the patches next time. Oh, definitely. I want a crackling fire. In the midst, in the background, <laughs> you're 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 already pre-planning the study I'm planning to build. I'm for just myself. saying. I'm just um, saying. But one of the things that happened today in class, uh, one of my students, at, we we started talking about kind of the what's coming up in the election and impacts on law and civil rights, and um, and one of my students kind of asked, you know, how seriously are you taking the concern that um, there will be kind of a civil war uprising uh, if this election goes as, you know, many of us uh, who are voting for Joe Biden hope it will. And, it, you know, it's kind of one of those situations or times when um, it's a question that you're, that you're, you unfortunately have to address. Like it's, it's unfortunate the question is asked and it's asked in a way that, it, that, that is, you know, perfectly legitimate. You know, it's a good question, unfortunately. And uh, I think that I'm thinking not just about the election, but about, um, you know, the post-election and the, and the traumas that are going to come, whether Joe Biden's elected or Trump's reelected. And I think it's a, um, either way, it's going to be a pretty harrowing time in this country. So, um, so I, you know, that's, that was my kind of, uh, pre pod planning, uh, you know, I was spending time with my students and kind of really answering some of their hard questions about our future together as a country. So. On that note, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's 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 a, that's a good apocalyptic start to this podcast. Yep. Um, I, I, before we get into the, the the nuts and bolts of this thing, we do we do something at the at the start of every that's black male podcast where we talk about maybe something that we're listening to, watching, reading. It's called What You Want. It's a segment that we have where we can talk about because we are 
not anywhere close to getting out of this pandemic thing as it, as it looks to from the numbers. Wait, um, wait, wait. We're turning the corner. That, we're right, rounding right. The, you know rounding what? the you turn what? is bad. what, uh, are, is, is what Trump has turn. been telling us. Rounding we, the they, turn. He, he's a third base coach, apparently. We have the executive, <laughs> the, 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 the top man in he's charge. Waving him in. Just waving them in. Just waving. That's that's what we that's what we all elected. Congratulations, America. But and this is a time that we that we talk about something that we're that we're watching. So I'll I'll, I'll start because I I got something. It's, it's yeah, Halloween themed. Okay, it's dope. Uh, Tragedy Girls on. I think it's I think it's Hulu or maybe okay. it's Netflix. I'm sorry. I'm not. I, I can't re- remember. But uh, it's a comedy horror flick. Uh, it's it's uh, two high school uh, girls who I'm not I'm not giving away the shop here. They are uh, serial killers and they're like deep into it. And it's okay. just a really fun ride. Like it's, it's like okay. I, I, I'm, I'm deep in the I, I'm enjoying this Halloween vibe. Like I'm, I'm okay. super into the, the, the milieu of the of the noir. So, yeah, uh, Moo, what, what, what are you doing? What you want? Nothing new, but I've been going through on-demand chopped episodes. Uh, you know, when I when I can rip myself away from watching like doom scrolling Twitter and uh, watching CNN the same segments on CNN every hour, yep. and Wolf Blitzer saying breaking news for news that is not breaking. <laughs> uh, so I've been watching start? a lot of I've been I've been watching a lot of chopped just to try to unplug a little bit from all the uh you know every new poll that comes out now have you learned anything have you learned anything new in the kitchen uh i mean i've picked up a couple things here and there but you know the ingredients are so um exotic yeah that's right. <laughs> on that show or or they're so like everyday normal you would never think to cook with them because uh mm. you know you wouldn't cook with these things but that's kind of the entertainment value of the show that's real all right and what you want bro uh, I actually want to uh, shout out one of our uh, Howard alum uh, classmates, Candace Elo, uh, yes. who has a book out. Uh, it's her first novel. It's called Everybody Looking. Um, and she is a finalist for National Book Award. Um, so um, so I, have, I ordered a copy in solidarity. I have not yet started reading it. <laughs> Uh, because of the same anxiety, yeah. Well, that, that part, that part, and, and, you know, and a whole wedding and 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 uh, election anxiety. So, but it, I did buy it. I am. It is on my short list of books to get to very soon. Um, and the fact that it's a national book award finalist tells me that other people think it's a really good book. And so uh, that is that's, right. that's usually a good indicator. <laughs> Elo has always been like a fantastic poet. She was on my uh, actual school of business team. That's right. That's right. Um, yep. your team 180. Shout out, gang, gang, gang. You know what it is. You know what it was. Hey. Um, so she she was part of that, and she's always been you know like just a, a deeper thinker, and 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 it's not surprising that she would come out uh, with the book. And so I've got you're one step ahead of me. I need to go ahead and. Order, order the book. I know it's going. It's going. To, it's going to sit for a second. I'll be real with you. I love Elo, but it's going to sit for a second, as most things do that I purchase. Yep. Fair. But I'm gonna get around to reading it. Yep. Most definitely, and then I'm gonna bring it back up. Like, oh, you see what I'm doing on well read and shit. There you go. Right. There so you go. You see, how I'm living. I see it. Uh, so let's start here. Um, what did you think of the last presidential debate? So this was my first uh, presidential debate. I I never got around to seeing the first one because I, I knew I was going to tape record it and watch it later. And then I, I, I saw about five to 10 minutes of it and just kind of, I, I, I went ahead and pulled that, that trigger of getting out of there. Uh, so this was my first time. So I, I, I'd like to know, Ed, what did you, what did you come away with, especially in comparison 
because I, I only heard bad things about how the rest of that that debate went. So that was part of the reason I didn't get into it. What did, what did you think, I guess, in comparison to the first? Yeah, so, I mean, the second debate was a uh, more normal, I think is the word to use uh, here, debate in that um, the candidates did not almost come to fisticuffs uh, during the actual debate itself. Um, and, and there was a use of a mute button that uh, allowed the candidates to speak for two minutes uninterrupted. What is, you know, one of the challenges of watching that, uh, either of those debates is, is, and maybe the second one in particular, is because it normalizes what should be abnormal. Like the second debate felt more normal to me as a kind of a, you know, there are political volleys, there's kind of, you know, um, there's some spin. But, you know, the way Donald Trump lies is just like so abnormal. And so, and so in some ways, I'm always concerned about how we legitimize illegitimate behavior. And I, and I think that to some extent, the debate, the second debate may have done some of that. Um, because you can't just, you can't say every time he says a sentence, you're lying, right? Like that, unless, or that's would be the only thing you said all night. And he knows that. And so he used his two minutes of uninterrupted time uh, in every, to answer every question with like voluminous lies. Um, and it was kind of, like, you know, and then Joe Biden is like, well, let me use my two minutes to actually speak to the American people and talk about my policies and try to put a, my affirmative case out there um, and not be the fact checker for Donald Trump. And I mean, that was the right decision from a political perspective, but from a what's going to happen, like what happens in our democracy when we can't agree on facts? Like it's, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a stark example of that. So, you know, I thought it was a fine presidential debate. No one moved the dial, right? Like, you know, if you were a Trump supporter coming in, you were a Trump supporter coming out. If you were a Biden supporter coming in, you were a Biden supporter coming out. Um, you know, if you are holding your nose and voting for Biden because you think that, you know, uh, democracy is at risk, then you're, you know, he didn't sell you on some new fancy, shiny, progressive policy. You know, um, you may have heard, actually heard one of his policies for the first time. If you haven't been a particularly avid listener of his, um, you know, you may have heard that he's planning to, you know, uh, take off $10,000 worth of student loans for, you know, everyone in the country, that if you, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a person who wants to go to community college, um, you know, for two years, and you're, you know, uh, and, you know, there's a certain income threshold, uh, so that we're not uh, paying for, you know, rich kids to go to school for free, that, you know, his plan affords for that. I mean, so, I mean, it, it's stuff that if you've been, if you have been attached to the electoral process, since the primaries, you've heard, but maybe for those who are just tuning in in the last two weeks before the election are really hearing for the first time. So I do think that maybe some people heard some things that are new to them, but not new. Um, and if you were a Trump supporter, you heard the, you know, you heard the greatest hits, you know, uh, Biden is apparently a mastermind who um, can, you know, runs things in both Russia and China. His son, uh, made millions of dollars because the mayor of Moscow's wife did something. And then there's something about a pedophile. And then there's something about um, emails. So that's really, that's what I got. That's how, it, that's, that's the story. Uh, but, and you know, it didn't have to make sense, but you know, you're, you got your buzzwords, right? Your buzzwords are in there. Mood, do, is, is it weird that, um, Things like emails and like kind of 
closer to fringe theories on things are being brought up in the debate because even like even just taking a step back, Biden is talking about uh, uh, vice president presidential elect. Uh, perhaps Biden is talking about, hey, um, what what dealings he uh, President Trump has had in Russia, la, Russia. Like it kind of feels like everything sounds kind of the same. You know what I mean? Like even though I I feel like there are probably larger, uh, straighter and more um, pronounced ties between President Trump and Russia. When President Trump brings up um, Joe Biden's ties to China or to whatever secret bank account or whatever, it sounds more plausible because those are the things that President Trump is being accused of. Like, does that ever like kind of sound the same? Because it kind of sounded the same to me when they were talking back and forth about it. So, I mean, just to start, Donald Trump specializes in projecting, right? Uh, whatever he is guilty of, he likes to project onto his op- political opponents. So, you know, the corruption angle that he loves to project onto Joe Biden, that's exactly who he is, right? Um, you know, we find out from the New York Times, he's got this secret bank account in China. He's had questionable dealings with Russia. This whole thing that got got him impeached, the whole Ukraine deal, right? That's where he worked so hard for this Hunter Biden dud that did not work, that he had to use Rudy Giuliani to kind of, you know, peddle this, this story that nobody really wants to take credit for or have their name attached to. And I thought it was... Well, I thought Kristen Welker, who did a good job as moderator in the the second slash third debate since the second debate was canceled, um, I I found it kind of odd that she gave enough credence to actually ask about the whole Hunter Biden thing. And I think that was to try to where they work, where the conservatives slash GOP work the refs to get that question asked, because no one finds it credible at all. No, like mainstream normal media uh, platform finds it credible at all. So I was surprised that we spent like you know sub- substantive amount of time during the, the debate talking about it. Um, and and really honestly, unless you really really follow the news, it's hard to even follow what exactly is even being alleged with Hunter Biden. Um, yeah. And that was a big takeaway that I saw a lot of like the talking heads talk about afterwards. It's like basically Trump specialized in, you know, the buzzwords that only make sense if you live in the. And I, I love this term because I'm a big Marvel uh, fan is the Fox News cinematic universe. Like these buzzwords <laughs> that they use only made sense if you're constantly tuned into it, because otherwise you're like, what is Trump talking about? Because he's just saying things and using buzzwords that make no sense unless you watch Fox News nonstop or read Breitbart, you know, unless you live in that bubble, um, you really it's really hard to come away understanding with a lot of what Trump's talking about. And these debates always showcase the fact that Trump really can't talk about policy for any amount of time. Like any and, and sort of a big criticism that we've seen of him has been just he, he thinks, as we saw in the 60 Minutes interview, uh, just laying out a vision for his second term, should he be granted one, he struggles with, right? Because he thrives off just tearing down his opponent, not actually selling a vision for America. Um, so I didn't actually watch that. Did, did either one of you guys watch that interview? Because I, I, I'm just kind of done with him. But like, is there, did either one of you guys watch that? One? I, I did watch substantial portions of it. And it, especially I watched a lot of it. I watched the portion that the White House 
uh, leaked ahead of the interview. Same. And it's, it did, I don't know why he thought that was a good thing to put out before the debate. Because uh, it wasn't helpful. Uh, it didn't look like he was at being asked really that hard of questions. He just, Trump specializes in projection and grievance, right? Uh, just everyone's against me. I've been treated unfairly. People are out, the deep state's out to get me. He specializes in grievance as an alleged billionaire who was born wealthy, but life's been very hard for him, right? Um, everyone's treated him unfairly and he can't get a fair shake is his life story. Um, and as <laughs> uh, it, it sort of mirrors uh, the Jared Kushner comment about black people and uh, you know them not wanting to be successful enough like President Trump wants them to be. It was really, really telling and insulting comment by Jared Kushner, uh, I think on Fox Business or Fox News. And it just, you know, for a guy who got into Harvard by having his dad donate millions of dollars for a building, it's like, really, you you fam? You're, you're the one who's going to come out here making these comments where you only got into Harvard because your daddy bought your way in? Cool. Yeah, and- I mean, I watched it. I agree with everything Moot said about the interview. And uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was, um, again, it wasn't terribly insightful, right? I mean, you know, I, I said this on the last pod that I thought, I think debate should be more like interviews and less with the kind of, let's kind of have the candidates talk to each other. No, put them on stage, beat them like, you know, to a pulp by the, by the moderator and then let the, you know, let their opponent figure out where to, where to land or whatever and, uh, and how to talk about policy, but no, put them, put them on stage together and like tear them apart. And I think that, you know, I would like to see the, mo- the role of moderators or as interviewers. But to be fair, Leslie Stahl was not, you know, it, she, her, her questioning of him was not nearly as vigorous even as Savannah Guthrie's during the town hall, the NBC town hall. And certainly not as good as, um, I can't, I'm forgetting Jonathan's last name, at Axios um, from HBO. Swan. Jonathan Swan. So like significant, I mean, who I actually think gave the best interview of the election season. So, you know, I, I still think his, I mean, I thought Savannah Guthrie's was great because it was unexpected and it was a different, it was a, that, that setting. But um, I think you should hold candidates feet to the fire. You should really make them answer the questions on, on policy. You should really ask them, what does it mean for you to be president to me, to you know, my family, to our livelihoods? Uh, and those are real questions that need answers. So, um, you know, again, but if you're in the 30 to 40% of Trump voters, then you already have decided that every journalist is unfair. Like you, you made it. Like there is no right. like, there's no world in which uh, any you know person who is not a Fox News talking head has any legitimacy in your worldview. And so, and even they don't have legitimacy when they turn against Trump. And so, uh, and, you know, see Chris Wallace. So there, so there's just kind of a um, there's just an end to uh, you know there's there's no there's no there's no convincing Trump supporters that, you know, that anything that he says or does is like, you know, uh, going to be harmful um, to his electoral chances. So I've said, I've said previously, I think he's undebatable. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that, that he's just, I just don't think he's a person that you can debate. Like if you can't, there, you have to have some semblance of like a being able to agree on yeah. certain things. Uh, and if you can't agree that those things even exist, then there's no there's no way to have a debate because there is not a debate. There's just uh, completely differing uh, kind of sides of views. Um, Amy Conan, uh, Coney Barrett got uh, mm-hmm. confirmed today. 
Um, we had talked about her as a candidate. She was obviously going to get confirmed this entire time because they had the majority. Senate, I, I, I guess I kind of just wanted to know, any. did you have any more thoughts about that? I'll, I'll, I'll start with, with Ed. Um, yeah. Any more thoughts about her? As no, as no as new as thoughts. I mean, Supreme so she was, Court. you know, she was confirmed on Monday. They had a whole like, you know, hoopla at the White House, a complete, a, a terribly delegitimizing ceremony at the White House where she is held up in this political, for political esteem. She's walked up the stairs to the, uh, to the Lincoln balcony, which actually is the entrance to the residence of the White House. No reason why anyone should, why any, you know, justice of the United States or newly appointed justice or confirmed and a sworn in justice should be uh, entering through the residence. Um, and, and, you know, she's sworn in not by the Chief Justice, by Chief Justice Roberts, but instead by Justice Thomas, because Chief Justice Roberts, I would assume, and I feel pretty good about this assumption, refused to participate in, this, in a ceremony because it was overly political. Um, and, you know, look, she is going to be a, an arch conservative ideologue. You know, she's to the, she's to the right of, uh, of Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch. She's in line with Thomas and Alito. Um, and, and so what that means for people who care about justice in America, it means that she is going to be a no vote on everything you care about, basically. I mean, you know, healthcare, LGBT rights, civil rights, et cetera. She's going to be on the wrong side of things. Um, it, I think the answer is as clear as it was a month ago when, you know, Justice Ginsburg passed away. Um, the only answer is to elect Joe Biden, make a Democratic Senate, keep the House, and expand the court. That's it. This is not, the, 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 the answer here isn't hard um, or even complicated. It is politically difficult. Um, and they're going to, and I need, what I really hope happens on Tuesday on, on election night is that we elect enough Democrats, uh, who are willing to be single term politicians. Like, I mean, I, you really need enough people who say, look for two years from January 20th, 2021 until the midterms when we are, when we get beat handedly, uh, in 2020, you know, 2022, we are going to do everything we can to put the country back on track. And then if we get beat and we lose the House or we lose the Senate, so be it. But, um, and I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk by Democrats about how we're, how we're the real patriots. You know, we're, we're, we're the ones who really care about democracy. Well, uh, if that's the case, we're going to really need to act like it, um, if, you know, if we are able to win the White House and the Senate. Um, and that means putting your political life on the line and, and being less concerned about your long-term political career and more concerned about whether or not we can put this country back on track. I yeah, agree wholeheartedly with everything Ed said. Uh, court expansion, you know, if we're fortunate enough to take the White House and the Senate and keep, I think it's almost assured that we're going to take keep the House. And yep. Nancy Pelosi has been humorous in watching her uh, respond to Trump saying that the, the GOP was going to take the House because uh, the, the chances of that are very slim. In fact, they're projected to lose uh, seats and they're trying, the GOP is trying to minimize damage right now. Yep. Um, so, I, I found it humorous. I saw Marco Rubio talking about uh, the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, and he said something to the effect of, you know, 52 elected senator, legally elected uh, senators put her up there and followed the proper process, whatever. Well, it, somebody corrected him. It was like, actually, two of them were appointed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lawler of Georgia and McSally of Arizona. Right. Yep. 
So actually, 50, 52 of them were not elected. And actually, Loeffler is in a dogfight right now. And McSally is likely going to lose to Mark Kelly. Yep. Um, so it's like, eh. But <laughs> basically, the uh, I, I like the responses because it was my instant take on the response as well. With, cool. Basically, Marco Rubio's take on this is if you have the power and it's the rules to do it, Cool. It sounds like you endorse Democrats expanding the court. And I don't want to hear any whining from Marco Rubio should that time come. And Chuck Schumer, in opposing uh, Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination, warned uh, the GOP senators. And he warned them that, you know, if you do this, should you find yourself with a Democrat majority, you have forfeited the right to tell them how to govern with that majority. And they have. McConnell has made a very calculated decision and the rest of the 51 other uh, Republican senators, I think the only Republican that voted against it was Susan Collins of Maine. Uh, if they, in making this choice to ram through Amy Coney Barrett, while more than, I think at that point, 60 million Americans had already cast their ballots and were already voting eight days before an election, you've made, the, the die has been cast. And I get Joe Biden is, you know, a little nervous, wants to unify the country and is trying to play it cool until we find ourselves hopefully in power with a trifecta of control of government. Um, you know, this whole take 180 days for a commission, nah, like uh, you let 100 days pass and the midterms are in sight. People are running for reelection already. Like there's just no time for it. Um, that time scale has got to be crunched back if you want to do it. Um, and my answer would be, you know, we're going to basically start an informal commission before we take office. Yep. Like, I know you got to get into some, you have to be careful with that about one president at a time. I get that. But like, there is no time to waste with like what Ed was saying about passing big progressive legislation immediately, taking on climate change immediately, court reform immediately, voting rights immediately. And you have to have, as Ed mentioned, elected Congress people who will are willing to be one term, uh, one term to do the right big, th hard things like Obamacare was. Right? We lost the we we lost I, the House and the Senate I, after the first term. I, I want I, I want to stop you right here because there, I have uh, some other things I want to get to, but I, I want to talk to um, Amy uh, Coney Barrett's experience sure. really really quickly um, in terms of so. I'm, I'm just going to read off some stats. Uh, two years in private practice. Uh, she had never argued before um, the Supreme Court previously. Most of her private work was uh, civil cases, not criminal. Most of her uh, time as a lawyer is spent as a teacher, uh, 15 years as teaching experience, um, and didn't serve as a judge until 2017. Uh, and I'm just, just really quickly, kind of what did you guys think, and I'll start with you, Ed, about kind of her, like just generally her qualifications to be in this so, position. So <clears throat> uh, I, I think that uh, it's clear that she is the least experienced person to become a Supreme Court justice, uh, you know, in a long time, maybe ever. Um, I want to be careful not to overly discount uh, her law teaching experience, one, because uh, I'm in the academy myself, but, uh, but two. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, 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 and pre-formation. Uh, so uh, 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 that's right, that's right. Sweater that's right. vest, uh, that's right. turtleneck. As a member of the, as a member of the, of the turtleneck committee. I, um, 100%. But, but no, in, in, all, in all seriousness, I, I, I do think, I think it is astonishing how little she's actually practiced. Um, 
but I, but I also think that there are liberals, and the reason why I, why I actually am hesitating, uh, not my own affiliations, but I think there are liberal groups who are very interested in what they what they would call a diversity of thought and experience from the bench, and actually want to pick liberal law professors to be justices. So I don't want to I don't want to overly discount the teaching experience because I know that there are like super liberal progressive organizations who would happily appoint a law professor from Harvard or Yale or wherever um, who has never practiced. And so, and so I think that it's one of those kind of, you know, I, I know that this is not like common in politics, but I actually like to try to be consistent about like my positions. Um, I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate for those people to become judges either. I do think actually practicing matters uh, to, uh, to being a good, uh, being a good judge or jurist, including the Supreme Court. So, um, but I'm, but I don't, I don't think that the liberal, the, the liberal attack on her for her lack of experience is likely to be undercut very soon by the types of people who are advocated for by liberals to be on the court, especially because I know for a fact that there are shortlisters in the Biden like wheelhouse that are that are themselves law professors who have, may have never practiced law. So I think that that so I think that liberals just need to be careful about this attack, right? Like there's I'm fine with this attack because I actually think that people should have more experience in this. But I think that at the same time, liberals who are yelling and screaming and reposting that MSNBC screenshot all over the internet may be the same people in two or three months who are advocating for a law professor that they like to be a, uh, a justice on the Supreme Court. So I just want us to be, um, we can at least be consistent, even if, uh, even if that is not adhered to by the other side. I agree. Yeah, um, I, I think that the attack on Amy Coney Barrett is that she is clearly going to be an ideologue. Um, she is compromised already um, from what we saw her do immediately after her confirmation hearing, which was go to the White House and be paraded around for a political event. The Hatch Act has no meaning under the Trump administration and using government uh, buildings, Air Force One, yeah, Marine say, One. Do, remind, uh, remind the re, yeah, remind the listeners. Basically, what not up. using, not having officials in their official government capacity do, act on political means, or using government buildings to campaign. Those are no nos, right? Because that's taxpayer funded. You have to do that on your own time. Normally, if the president is traveling for campaign purposes, his campaign has to pay for that, right? They have to reimburse like the use of Air Force One, the personnel used. Um, now, a lot of times they try to play games with that where they try to go do something for government purposes and then just happen to have a campaign event. And both sides do that. Right. But the use of the White House, for example, for the RNC was just like we saw even questionable uses of like questionable violations of the Hatch Act have been blown apart by the Trump administration. They just have. And to see a Supreme Court justice who's supposed to allegedly be, you know, politically, uh, you know, impartial. Uh, out there with Trump celebrating with a bunch of his supporters uh, right after her confirmation hearing, which just explicitly let us know that this, the court has been delegitimized and I think Roberts knows that. And the question is where do we go from here? And we have to see that I think this election um, is going to determine a lot and we just have to kind of see where things go um, because really whew, the stakes are high. They're really high on what happens uh, November 3rd and what the days that follow, which I'm sure we'll talk about going forward is, you know, we may not have a result on November 3rd and we need to be prepared for that. So I'm, I'm glad you walked us into this. So it's the last week. Um, 
Tuesday is November 3rd. It will be the fu- – I, I, I like the way that it's been kind of characterized this time around. I don't ever remember it like this before. That's, right. that's the yep. last day to vote. You know what I mean? As opposed to, hey, that's voting day. No, this is the last day to vote. I think yep. all three of us have already voted. Indeed. Um, but I, how are you feeling a weekend uh, or I guess a week out or whatever? I'll start with you, Ed. Like, how, how, are, um, how are you feeling right now? There's the emoji of the dog sitting in the house and it's on fire. And he says, this is okay. That is that is pretty much my entire lived experience at this moment. Um, yeah, I'm not okay. You know, this is a this is you know this is a uh, existential moment for our country. It um, Republicans are playing every single game they have um, to try to you know steal this. I think from the American people, the Supreme Court is being overly active in the election already. Um, and, you know. What what and what I mean by that is the Supreme Court is basically uh, saying, okay, this state can have uh, you know can have ballots counted after election day. This state cannot. Um, I mean, it's it's a they are much more hands on um, than than they should be, and um, and you know there are just a lot of unknowns, right? Like I'm encouraged by by I'm watching, unlike uh, Mood, who I'm sure we'll talk about the polls and when we flip it to him. Uh, I, I have, I'm maintaining my, you know, kind of distrust of the polls, but what I am encouraged by is, uh, the astronomical numbers of young people ages 18 to 29 who have voted early in key states. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that some 50, uh, to 60% of the American electorate who voted in 2016 have already voted. Um, and so I think that that's, for me, that's good. That's a, that's a good feeling that, you know, Americans are engaged. Um, and it demonstrates what Democrats have always known. If you give people opportunities to vote, people will vote, right? Like if you make it easier for people to vote by letting them mail it in or go early or, you know, um, and, and make it convenient, people will, people want to be a part of our democracy. Um, and, and so I'm happy to see that that kind of our theoretical approach to voting is being borne out as factual. But at the same time, I mean, there's one big lingering question for me is, are all the early voters, one, we know that Democrats are more likely to early vote than Republicans, and Republicans tend to wait till election day to vote. Um, so the question for me is, is the fact that like 50 plus percent of the American electorate has voted, and that's probably a lot of like Democrats, does that, does that mean there aren't that many of us left on election day, right? Like, is it, is it that 50% of us have voted and, enough, and we're still going to have basically the same turnout on election day we had, which would mean, you know, a super high voter turnout around the country, um, which bodes well for Biden. So that's the big question for me. And because I have that big question, um, you know, I have this like sitting pit in my stomach that, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a long night, probably gonna be a long week either way. But, um, you know, I, I, re- I remember as we started, we started this podcast, as we started this particular podcast with recounting the night of 2016 uh when it all fell apart and i uh i am you know emotionally and mentally and physically aware of it, that uh potential repeat and so you know i will uh, i will put myself through the um and i i should just go to sleep i've been debating this just like just go to sleep at like 7 30 and <laughs> well i mean look man look we might we might be doing something for politics side i'm trying to figure it out how we could do something uh It'll it'll probably be a not safe for work <laughs> okay. sort of politics yeah. aside because that's gonna be I I know I know I know the vibes I'm gonna be on. Look, uh, look the so just want to listen really, to me cry for yeah, four hours. But uh, <laughs> we can, we can do that. right, exactly. We can do that. I mean, that's we can do that. 
that's pretty solid. I mean, just a, just a smooth like, cause like that could be like I I remember what happened in 2016. Like I I had I was uh, doing sports radio six to six to nine, so that means you have to go to bed like relatively early. If there's not sports on, you have to go to bed relatively early. And so I got I went to bed at like yep. eleven, uh, and I was like, all right. So I'm going I'm gonna try to grab a few hours. I was not one of those people that thought, oh, yeah, Hillary's definitely going to win because I was like, nah, right. y'all don't know the racism, though. That That's like the that's the that's the key. That's the key. He's got it. He unlocked it. He unlocked the thing. And so, like, when I woke up and it was him, I was yep. like, oh, cool. And yep. now I have to immediately go to work. So, yep. like, at least I don't have to do that. Like, at least I don't. But then I might put myself in a position where we might actually have to go back to work <laughs> and do this. So it'll be fantastic. It'll be great. It'll be great. Uh, uh, so I, I've, I've been watching some of the early voting, which is astronomical right now. Um, I think it's north of yeah. 70 million have voted already. And, you know, just one particular state with early voting, Texas, they're at 91 percent of the amount of people who voted in 2016. And there's six days left to go. And that is insane that 91 percent already. Shout out to Better All Road. Yes, better work and the work he's been doing in uh in, in Texas has really been incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I share Ed's concerns about cannibalization of the vote and how much is going to be left um, for election day because we do know that generally uh, Republicans tend to vote on election day. Um, so we don't know what the numbers mean, and you know, party party affiliation. You can't just be like, well, this many Democrats voted, so that's votes in the bank because you've seen situations like in Pennsylvania where. You have people who were registered as Democrats for a long time who have just now started to switch over and some have stayed registered as Democrats, but vote for Republicans. So and and you have Republicans that are also voting for Joe Biden. So it's hard to call. Um, you know, I've been concerned about how, like Ed mentioned, how frequently the U.S. Supreme Court is being dragged into this litigation, like state level litigation about voting and when votes will be counted particularly in states like Wisconsin and especially Pennsylvania has some very particular uh, litigation going on right now about how many days after uh, November 3rd votes will be counted. And I see the Democrats there, uh, you know, moving to basically separate out votes that arrive after a certain date so that they don't spoil or taint all of the votes that happened before. Um, because that that is what Trump is trying to set up right now is basically to have the Supreme Court decide an election. And basically, if he doesn't win Pennsylvania, it's over, it looks like. Um, but basically set up a situation where he can say, oh, the election in, or the Supreme Court can say for him, the election in Pennsylvania was tainted. Therefore, I'm the winner um, and have the court decided for him. So I think Dems have to be really on it. Um, it's concerning that, you know, Republicans everywhere, you see the headlines, any, every time there's litigation with voting and when to count ballots, Republicans are always on the side of decreasing the amount of votes counted. They, no matter what the particulars are of whatever state uh, issue it is, they are always on the side of counting the least amount of votes, which begs the question, what are they trying to do other than suppress the vote? Like you would think the goal should be make sure as many people have their say in government as possible. They're always on the side of not including votes 
and Democrats are always on the side of counting everyone's vote. It's not, let, let's be clear here. It's not like Democrats are like, no, we shouldn't count election day votes after whatever time, because that's when Republicans vote. They're saying count them all and afford in these exceptional times, afford so for some exceptional circumstances, especially given what we know about and, and what we know about mail-in voting and what uh, DeJoy has done at the United States Postal Service with delays, where you have like uh, the Secretary of State of Michigan telling voters there, do not trust the Postal Service anymore going forward. You need to drop it off at a drop-off box because we know it's been slowed down deliberately so that votes will arrive after they can be counted. And that's basically, we're, we're going through a situation right now that's incredibly scary because Trump knows, at least according to the polls, he is losing. His campaign seems to know he's losing. He is using all the levers of the federal government to try to squeak out a win here with, through the Electoral College. He's using the Postal Service. He's using taxpayer money uh, to do it. He's using all the levers he has at his disposal. He's using the Justice Department. Uh, he's doing everything he can to eke out an election win because he knows he's down. He knows he has a very narrow path to reelection. And that path is incredibly reliant on Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, those are going to be two states. And I think Pennsylvania, Florida, I think we will kind of have an idea of where that's going pretty fast. It may be close. Florida usually is close. Pennsylvania is one of those states where they don't, they're not allowed to start counting ballots, mail-in ballots and absentee ballots until the day of the election. So they're going to be slow. So we're going to see some questionable things, I think, said by Trump, depending on how this goes election night, uh, about what's happening in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I know Ed is certainly aware of this about Kavanaugh suggesting that, uh, you know, expressing some concern about the election results being flipped by late arriving ballots. Well, never in the history of elections in this country do we have all the ballots counted on election night. That's never happened. What we have are news desks who say we project based on what we've seen thus far. Like, think about every election you've watched in your lifetime, and that's an important distinction to make. We never have all the ballots counted. Remember 2016, where California came in with all their ballots afterwards, and we found out Hillary won the popular vote by a substantial margin? The, all the ballots weren't counted on election night, and that's never the case. We just have news desks that have a certain amount of confidence, and they're ready to make a projection. So Trump is saying this sort of thing as well about oh, we need to stop counting. We need to have a winner on election night. And it's disturbing to see Kavanaugh saying the same thing in a concurring opinion. Well, it's worth noting that Justice Kavanaugh is Justice Kavanaugh of the Bush v. Gore team on the Bush side. So he's not exactly inconsistent on this point. Um, it seems to be his view is if the Supreme Court can give a Republican a win, it should. Um, uh, his legal views on this are... Um, are I would think I would I would say at least from from a from a legal scholarship point are have been debunked and uh, are completely irrational. Um, but there may be five votes for it, so you know that's what it means to be on the Supreme Court. So that's I mean this is the, this is the point. It, it doesn't have to make sense to anyone. Um, you know Bush v. Gore as a legal decision for those you know the three of us who all went to law school. Bush v. Gore is not taught as legal precedence. It actually has no like basic holding. It's just it's it's Bush one. Like the holding of Bush v. Gore is Bush one. <laughs> like that is the and that's the only thing that the justice agreed on. Um, and so uh, no surprise that Kavanaugh is continuing in tradition of trying to help have the court give elections to Republicans.
I will I'll get you guys out of here on this. Um and I'll and I'll and I'll go right back to you, Ed. Uh what does November fourth look like? Um regardless of I mean, sure. pick a pick a side one way or the other, or you can do both. I don't I don't give a shit. Um sure. I, I think what does that, November fourth look like? Uh I think if Biden wins, he wins in a landslide. I don't think I don't think there's a way to win close. And I think that because all the levers of government that would support a close win will be against uh, Biden winning. The Supreme Court has already shown its hand that it will be against a Biden win or will do things that will restrict his ability to win. Um, and so if it's a win, it's, we're going we're gonna to either know or feel really good about it coming out of Tuesday. Like, you know, maybe it's like we still, you know, oh, we got to watch these last few counties, but these few counties aren't very, aren't likely to swing heavily Republican. Um, I think that, that Trump will refuse to concede at any point. Like there will never be a concession speech. Um, and, and there won't be a concession speech, but you will at a certain point, maybe Wednesday night the, on the 4th or maybe Thursday morning, you'll start seeing Mitch McConnell uh, say, you know, the American people have spoken. Uh, we obviously take their, you know, we take their votes as they are, et cetera. And I think that that'll, you'll start seeing Republicans uh, say things like, you know, this is who people voted for. You know, we, we respect the decision of the American people. And, and that will isolate Trump as an outlier on the failing to concede point. So I don't think he'll ever concede, but I do think his party will basically concede for him if he loses. Uh, if he ekes out a win, um, I don't know what November 4th is going to look like because I'm pretty sure I have a bag packed um, already. So I think my November 4th, 5th, 6th, etc. looks like a beach um, with white sand and clear waters. So that's, that's what I think you know it looks like for me. But for America... Uh, it might be dark here. I don't know. Y'all, I'll give you a call and and you can let me know <laughs> what it looks like. We'll hop on the Zoom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll hop on the Zoom. You can show me what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. So we'll hop on <laughs> the Zoom and you you let me know uh, what it looks like. But uh, you know, honestly, look if if Biden if Biden loses this thing, um, then I, then I think that you know the next four years or so of American history, four plus years of American history, are are, are darker than the ones before it. Um, so, uh, and I, and, and I'm only being, you know, 40% facetious about like not being here. Right. Like think that there, I think that, that for even, for even well-meaning people who really love our democracy, uh, and really care about this country, um, you know, like myself, like, I think it will be really hard to continue to live under the reign of a dictator, uh, for four more years. I think it, I think it just, it will be, it will, there will be real questions in a lot of American households, a lot of deeply democratic, you know, uh, people with privilege enough to leave, and I don't want to take that for granted, right? Like, I, like my conversation about being able to pack up and leave comes from a place of privilege, um, and I get that. Um, but I do think those conversations will start to become real legitimate over the months uh, after the election. Yeah, so I'll start yeah, with, uh, let's say Biden loses. I don't know that we'll know that November 3rd, right? Um, or because it'll be close, I think, if Trump's going to eke out a win. 
And I think it will come, he'll, I think absolutely he will have lost the popular vote. I think there is almost no chance. I think 538 has it as a 1% chance that Trump gets a popular vote win. <laughs> I'm going I'm well, well, to stop I mean, citing them. Because uh, in, in, no, in 100% of the polls that uh, Trump was asked, well, in, uh, they've got it fucking wrong. So we can stop. We, I, I I'm just saying, I'm, I, I get it. I pretty get reputable. It. And I think people have misinterpreted probability with them. Like, for example, he Trump has, I think, roughly an 11% chance to win. So people interpret that as, oh, that means Biden's going to win. But no, like the way uh, I've seen them explain it is it rains in Los Angeles, which is of note for all their sports winning right now. Uh, it rains about 36 days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it rains about 36 days out of the year there. Those are about the chances Trump has to win right now, as projected by 538. If Trump pulls out a win, it's not that 538 didn't predict that that was a possibility. It's just. Uh, I mean, but it's but it's but it's not, though. Right. Like, I know that's a that's a fun game to play, but like it is just the one thing. Right. Like, it's not every day. It's just it's it's just on the one. Well, I, I guess we have to discuss exactly like, what no, they got no, wrong, no, because no. remember, yeah, the no. national polls were, were correct. The, the, the winner. The, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 I, I, no, I got it. No, no, no. Call on me. Uh, the winner. The, the, the winner and the loser. They got that shit wrong. The actual, the only thing that they, that well, the I, only I, job I think... that they had, they got that shit wrong. And it's, and it's fine, but like, there has to be like, at some point. And I know we've talked about this, but like at some point, people have to like let the poll thing go because people the the overarching thing is that people lie, particularly about this candidate, because there are certain social ramifications from coming by openly supporting this candidate that is openly a terrible person, right? Like openly, like I'm going to be a terrible person. And so if I support this terrible person, I am going to get criticized. Rightly so. But like in the only only one of these sorts of honestly popularity contests that that they had to to, to well, measure. I, so I, this is where I will continue and, to disagree about it is Donald Trump is president okay. because of 77,000 votes spread over three states like like because of the uniqueness of the Electoral okay. College and, you know, polling error. In state level polling, because again, Hillary, they were like the national polls were correct. Hillary Clinton won within the margin of error, the popular vote. And I think we've seen adjustments from pollsters this round about being careful about state level polling. And there's been ex extensive discussion about debunking this notion of the shy Trump voter, because when was the last time you met a shy Trump voter? Oh, I think that, I, I think, that I people think meet them all shy the time. Trump voters are few and far between, and there's there's been no documented evidence of them, right? Well, let me let me say this about the probability point. So here's a, here's the problem with here's my here's why I like haven't logged into five thirty eight since twenty sixteen. Um, and it is it 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 does it does yes exactly it does go it goes Sorry to Brennan's point but on a, in a different way. I understand <laughs> and respect the probability work that happens in polling, and I understand and respect how that their probability metrics were not off by much. But one of the things that political pollsters do is, and, and, this, and 538 is guilty of this like every other pollster, is that they project a particular confidence about the outcome and about, about the ultimate outcome, not just about the percentage outcome. And the projecting of the ultimate outcome, the who will win, right? Who will be president? 
um, when it doesn't meet the, you know, when it doesn't meet the percentage outcome of their polls or their polls of polls or analytical system, it, 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 it one undermines their entire like system. Right. So like, I agree with you, uh, Mood, and I, you know, like as, a, as someone who values statistics and, and not just in this space, but like statistics are a big part of like democratic fact building around policy decisions. So I obviously don't have a problem with statistics, but my problem is largely about how we, and by we, I mean uh, people in politics and political pundits and pollsters in particular talk about, um, like it's one thing to say, look, and I think what you've done, and, I, and it's not about you, because I think what you've done has been fair. Like you said, look, he has an 11% chance of winning. I think you've done a, like a fair job like of explaining what that means and what that looks like. Um, the problem is that if you read 538 or pollsters, they will make it. They will make you feel like by by the way they write, by the canon in which they they orchestrate the, the discussion, like the like it's not going to rain in California on that day, right? And and then when you wake up and it's raining. Right. Like then like like that, that uh, that response is uh, the response to that is one a legitimate one by by people who didn't expect it to rain. Right. Like, you know, yeah. Thirty six days. I happen to be in California when it rains seven in a row. You know, like that, that would be it, it, it's not that it can't happen. It's not that the, it's not that the statistics don't say it could. Um, but I do think that um, Nate Silver and his team and others, not just him, but political pollsters generally, um need to be more conscious of what they what they convey even if it's not what they mean and i think that uh i think that was a big issue in 2016 and it i think it turned a lot of people off including myself off of uh you know polling generally not some uh, you know so i think that that that's my issue it's a tangential issue but it's why i've pushed away from polling yeah and what i'll add is that uh I think the models that you see on places like 538 that take a whole host of factors like where the economy is and other things, not just polling into account to uh, project where things are going to go, um, is that we live, we're going through an unprecedented type election, right? We're voting in a pandemic where the incumbent president is using all the levers of the federal government to turn things in his favor. So I think uh, you can look into these things and follow the math behind them and also keep in your mind that those aren't votes, right? Uh, whatever probability is cited on these websites or by pollsters, um, those aren't votes in the bank. You you still have to get turn out and vote. You still have to, you know, reach out to your family members to vote. We, we've seen the, you know, crazy long lines that people are waiting in. Um, you know, it's about turnout now. Um, you can only get an idea of where the pulse uh, of the country is. And that's what polls are. They're a snapshot in time of kind of where the pulse of thing, the race is. But then it's still your operation of turning your voters out. And I think you've seen like, you know, if polls were useless, campaigns wouldn't do them. Right. Sure. There is some value in them because campaigns do them. The Trump campaign does them. That's how they kind of figure out what works well, what the issues they should campaign on. Like they absolutely use them and invest a lot of money in them because they have some value. Now, it still is turning out your voters, right? That's why you're seeing Trump go to places where he needs to turn out his voters. And he's going to really red places in a lot of instances uh, to turn out his base because his people are looking at their, their data and saying, we've got to turn these people out because Trump's unfavorables are really high. His unfavorables on the coronavirus as it spikes in the week before the election are really high. Like I think approaching like 60% of the country disapproves of how he's handled the coronavirus 
and the numbers are skyrocketing, particularly in places where he needs to win, like Wisconsin. Places like Omaha, Nebraska, where he left hundreds of his uh, supporters out to freeze uh, because the buses left and weren't transporting people to their cars. Um, so it, it's a turnout game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yes. Am I encouraged by the polling that I'm seeing? Yeah. Do, do I think it it's money in the bank? Absolutely not. But I think this could be a correction election potentially with how we view polling mm-hmm. because we're all scared about what happened in 2016 because we've never had it that bad before. Like this could be the election where we're like, okay, 2016 was an aberration. And now we've returned to a nor- uh, like some sort of sense of normal normality because we had this narrow, because it felt bigger than what it was because the electoral college, it's winner take all in most instances, with the exceptions of like places like Nebraska and Maine who have some, you know, special districts that get to give away their electoral votes. It felt so much different because this narrow 77,000 votes decided the election. Um, And that's a really small number in the context of how many people voted last time. I think it was around 160 million. Like 77,000 is really a really, really small number. I'll say this, Mood. You're right. You're right that this could be redemptive. This election could be redemptive for pollsters. It also, if they get it wrong again, it is the end of their industry. Like, like there will never be another pollster. <laughs> like, look, I mean, I won't be on the New York Times website watching the needle as the night progresses ever again. I fair, mean, fair enough. But I do think like with all like campaigns care a lot about their internal polling. That's right. They do. That's right. They absolutely do. And uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's dangerous in the sense of like, who are you calling, how you conduct the poll. But like places like 538 put a lot of work into grading the pollsters and the quality of the polls. There's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of money that goes into it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this about the money and the work that goes into it. Um, it's kind of like coaching searches in the NBA and NFL. They, a lot of money and a lot of work goes into that, and they are usually awful. So I'm just like people have made a lot of bread doing a lot of shitty work, which honestly goals, hashtag goals. Um, so so this this is the part uh, of the podcast where I like to uh, talk to Mood and Ed about things that have been on their on their psyche, on their minds and something they feel very passionately about. This is what I call a closing argument. And I will start. Yo, it's you, this simple. Get uh, out yeah, and go to it, bro. find out how your state election works. Do not if you and it varies on your jurisdiction. I think places like Tennessee, if you have an absentee ballot, you actually still have to mail it. Um, but in a lot of states, you can drop it off at a drop box. There, it's hard to do a blanket rule about how voting works because every state does it differently. But this is and I know people say it every election, but this really is, I think, going to be the most consequential election of most of our lifetimes. Um, democracy truly is on the ballot. Um, we see the Supreme Court is now 6-3 conservative. We see what kind of judge Amy Coney Barrett's going to be or justice she's going to be. Democracy is, and so many other rights, a woman's right to choose, people being able to marry the people they love and not be fired or discriminated against about who because of who they love is on the ballot. Um, so voting rights are on the ballot. Um, our ability to correct and fix democracy, because there are a lot of things that aren't working right now, the Senate being one of them, the Electoral College being another, because think about how crazy it is that we're spending all this time talking about a couple of states, right? We're not talking about America voting, we're talking about a couple of states and how those people who happen to live there vote. And and it is insane that that's the way we run our elections for president and president only. 
that, oh, these certain states matter because of their demographic makeup and how many electoral college votes they get, that these are the states that matter. And those are the only states essentially we're going to talk to. Like, so suddenly, uh, you know, Florida's important. Pennsylvania is important. North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin. Yeah, North Carolina is huge. That's another state where North if K- Biden K- can pull that out, that's almost a death knell. Georgia, Georgia, the polling, and like I, I am skeptical of Biden pulling out a win in Georgia or North Carolina, but it's encouraging the polls are that close. You know, you've got two Senate races there um, with Ossoff and Warnock running there that could pull out, you know, we're talking about control of the Senate to expand the court. Those are huge races there. Um, you've got, you know, there are a lot of huge races uh, in the Senate that, and they're in control of state legislatures when we're talking about uh, with the census and uh, redistricting that are going to matter who controls the state house. Um, it's going to matter a lot. A lot is on the ballot. And to fix our democracy, we really have to, as we've said before on this pod, overwhelm the system and turn out like never before. And I'll echo what Ed said about 18 to 29 year olds. They seem to be doing the thing. Like they really seem to be turning out. And maybe it's because there's so much mail-in voting this time that, you know, you have these kids that are off to school maybe. And now it's convenient for them to vote in their their home because they didn't mail a ballot. They don't have to fly, you know, wherever from school to vote. They can mail in that that ballot a lot easier now. Um, So my, my encouragement is talk to all of your loved ones and maybe you're not so loved ones to get out and vote because, you know, we do not want to wake up on November 4th November 5th or whatever, and be wondering, could we have done more? Is this going to be our fate? Because I don't know what this country looks like if Donald Trump gets reelected. I really don't. I do find it interesting. Everybody's like, go vote. Everybody go vote. <laughs> well, we're, 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 <laughs> as Democrats, we believe that when people turn out, we win. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. As, as, as <laughs> if you got a manga hat in your closet, <laughs> Brendan wants you to stay home. home. Ice Cube, hey, I, hey, Ice Cube, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ice Cube, you sit your ass at home. Uh, fucking Lil Pump, you sit your ass at home. Fucking Fifty, sit your ass at home. I'm you, you're a felon. I don't even fucking, I don't even know if you can fucking vote. But like, you sit your, your, your felon ass at home too. I, I just some motherfuckers, I do want you to sit your ass at home, just roll one up and just relax. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to say the same that that Mood said about uh, about voting. I I, I do want to encourage. Uh, I want to say everyone, <laughs> some of y'all, to some vote. Some of y'all, Look, I, I, some of y'all. If you if if you vote for Kanye, you sit your. I, I believe that, I, I believe there are more of Dead us ass. than there are of them. Um, but but here's my here's here's what I do want to say to people who are going to uh, be braving it on election day. If you get up there on election day, you're there to vote. Um, and you are turned away, but you know you're registered. Um, you're told that you can't vote for some reason that seems illegitimate. Um, I there is an election protection hotline. Um, there's going to be staffed by thousands of lawyers all across the country, um, and you can access it at one eight six six hour vote. That's one eight six six o u r v o t e. Um, so that is going to be staffed. I'm actually staffing that hotline uh, for Florida and Texas uh, Tuesday morning. Send me that link, and I'll and I'll and I'll put it. I'll, we'll I'll, I'll tag that in when, we'll when do. I. Uh, um, so for those who are those who have already voted, I encourage all of us to find a way to get involved. Um, if you go to the lawyers committee or election protection websites, there are uh, roles for those who are legally trained and for those who are not legally trained. 
Um, there are, you know, my mom, uh, you know, uh, is taking her, you know, it's taking herself to be she a pole monitor for the first time. Um, and very, very proud of yes, her. Uh, and, and I'm encouraged by all the people who are getting their hands on the ball here. Um, you know, look, if, if we, if we want a democracy, we have to work for it. Right. And, um, and that's what, that's what democracy is supposed to be. It, it should not, um, it shouldn't be as hard as Republicans have been trying to make it to, to live in a democracy. Um, but, but it does take work and the work it takes is, uh, comes to a head on November 3rd, right? Like, let, let's, let's do what we have to do to get people to vote. Let's make sure that people's votes are protected. Um, and, and let's, you know, try our best to hold our country together after the election, regardless of the results. So, um, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. And, um, you know, that's what I'm hoping we'll do. And if you're on social media, I mean, you are on social media. Yes. People are on social media. Where where should I'm they at go Edward Williams check you out at? on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Moo and uh, Moo, where are you on at, Twitter. Bro? All right, man. Well, as always, it's been great. It's been phenomenal. We're gonna try to hit you with a lot of content this last little upcoming months. These <laughs> these guys don't know it, but I'm going to Let's work the it. fuck out of them. So it's cool. Uh, but as always, we love you. We appreciate you. Stay safe. Vote your ass off. And uh, but if you're not going to vote for the right. <laughs>